Thank you for listening to the City Lights podcast. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. We hope you enjoy the message. Hey, I have a message for you today. Um, we're, we started a series last week called Has God Said? Has God Said? Um, we're getting this out of uh, Genesis chapter uh, 3, verse 1. The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. How many times does this happen to us? We, we feel like we get a word from the Lord and, and the enemy of our soul comes along and says, did God, did God really say that thing to you? Is that really true? Right? It's, it's a question designed to sow a seed of doubt. Or you read something in scripture. And the enemy of our soul comes along and says, Does that, is that really true? Did God really mean that when that was put into the Bible? Okay, so in this series, I want to go after some of, the, some of those things that I believe are being questioned um, in culture and questioned in society. And we want to just kind of get back to the Bible. I actually will end up doing a message on why the Bible is actually the Word of God. That, that itself is being questioned. So we'll get there probably in a few weeks. I will say... I have never felt so much warfare over a series in my life. I'm, I'm really surprised. There's a lot of opposition. I'm just feeling personal opposition against preaching these messages. And so if you would keep me in prayer, I think these are really important messages to be preaching. They're not easy. Like, um, it's not a one-off message because they really have to be crafted well. And so um, just be praying for us while we're, while we're in this series. Um, it's going to be a good thing. Although next week, I, I don't usually announce this, but I'm not going to be in the pulpit next week. Pastor Bill Klein is going to be here preaching. And uh, he is one of our amazing overseers. Um, he's a, a regional director of uh, Sozo Ministry, which is an inner healing ministry. And uh, I'm going to be in South Dakota doing a wedding, which is going to be great. And so um, I won't be here, but I will be working. So I'm not, I'm not just hiking, guys, okay? All right. First question that was asked in the Bible was there, and it was designed by Satan to sow a seed of doubt and a seed of insecurity. Okay. How many know before they bit into the forbidden fruit that they bit into the forbidden lie? They, they ate the lie before they ate the fruit, right? And when you believe the lie, you empower the liar. Okay. Um, any good sales, uh, salesperson will tell you that you're incomplete without their product. If you just buy this product, then you will be complete, right? For, for just 84 easy installments of $600, this car can be yours. Just 84 easy installments. That's just, what is that, five, six years, right? Okay, um, so many things, again, are being being questioned society. Many things are being sold to us in society. If you only would just take this, then you'll be happy, okay? It's, it's, a, it's a question. It's a seed of, of doubt designed to get you to bite into the lie. Okay, last week, I'm not going to do a review. I actually had a lengthy review. I had a review that was, like, really long, and I was going to preach all of it. And then this message got really long. I was like, well, I can't do a review. It's too much. But last week, I did a message um, um, called, Are There Only Two Genders? And we, we talked about what is really big in our culture, really big in our society, really big question right now. Are there just two genders? Can you just simply flow back and forth to one or the other and just identify however you want? So we talked about that. If that just spiked your interest and you didn't hear my message, you can go online and listen to it. So there was some good stuff there. Today, I want to take this um, a step further, and I want to talk about 
the traditional family structure, um, also known as the nuclear family structure. Um, Emily was telling me this week, she was talking with Hannah, Hannah Hartman back there, and she said when she, when she hears the word nuclear family, she thinks of like kids with three legs, you know, because they've <laughs> been contaminated with radioactive, or a superhero family maybe, if you will, okay. So the nuclear family structure, the traditional family structure, I don't know what you envision when I say that. Some of you maybe go back to a, an idea of, you know, the 1950s and this perfectly, you know, family or whatever, but the nuclear family structure is... Um, an institution, the institution of family that has gone back really to the beginning of man. So it's a very important structure. I want to take a few minutes today and talk about the wisdom of God, that it is the wisdom of God that he designed it this way, that there would be a two-parent family, okay? Now listen, you and I, we all have an interest now, whether you're married or not, this isn't a, a, a mar- this isn't really a how-to uh, message like how to have a great marriage. This is not what I'm what I'm talking about. This is a message on why marriage. Okay. Now, you all have a interest in this because whether you're single, whether you're um, married, divorced, widowed, we all have an interest in seeing to it that there are strong family structures in our society. And when we see things coming against the traditional family structure and saying like, "Oh no, you don't need that. That's not important." Even if you're single, you should have an interest in saying, no, that is not a good thing. Even if you're called to celibacy, you should say, no, this is not a good thing. Okay, why? Um, Evidence suggests that two-parent families produce the most well-adjusted adults who are prepared to operate autonomously in this world. Okay, Um, so we all have an interest in this. It's a foundational um, social unit of our culture. Okay, strong families produce strong societies. Let me say that again. Strong families produce strong societies. So if you're a divorced person or you're being raised in a uh, household of a divorced person, uh, I I just want to say on the onset, this should in no way make you feel like inferior, okay? God's grace is absolutely sufficient for you. If you're a single mom, God's grace is absolutely sufficient for you. If you're a single dad, God's grace is absolutely sufficient for you. If you're being raised in a single parent home, God's grace is absolutely sufficient and can make up for what you need. Okay, Um, many, many, many children and people raised in single parent families, they turn out great. They turn out fine. So it's not a death sentence on anyone, but it is the wisdom of God that he designed it in such a way that it would be two parents and and he he wants it to be that way. Um, I, uh, my parents got divorced when I was uh, 10 years old and my mom remarried and I had a stepdad, you know, it's like, oh, you're the dad I never wanted, the stepdad, great, you know. And then you have stepbrothers, like, oh, the brothers I never wanted, stepbrothers, you know. And then my mom got another divorce, and I had an ex-stepdad and ex-stepbrothers. That's kind of confusing, right? <laughs> and then she got remarried, and now I have a half-sister. <laughs> and so, and then my dad remarried, and I have two other stepbrothers. So it's like, you know, there's a lot happening there. And, and this is, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure very familiar to a lot of you, okay? It gets, it gets confusing when people start splitting up, right? Divorcing and remarrying and snip, snap, snip, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I turned out fine, right? <laughs> right? At least, at least I'm still trying to convince Emily of that. So <laughs> tell her, guys. Tell her I turned out fine. So to no way a death sentence to be raised in a home or you have parents who are divorced. This is the case with so many people. But I want to highlight the wisdom in it. And for, where do we go from here? Let's build from here. Let's build strong family structures from here. Listen, as a, as a church, 
Emily was talking about this this week, this week. we're going to have people coming through these doors who they don't know how to do this. They don't know how to be married. They don't know how to have families. They just don't. People don't know what they don't know. Listen, we want to be a church that comes around people and trains people up in the ways of the Lord. Those of you who've been married for years and years, and you got some gray hairs, and your kids are gone, we need you. We need you because we need um, your influence. We need your example for the next generation. So don't diminish um, where you're at in life because you're old and your kids have moved out. We need that influence. Okay, so although children raised in a single-parent home um, can become successful adults, studies show that um, children living in well-functioning two-parent families have several advantages, okay? So to kick this off, I want to just roll a video, and we'll go with that. The nuclear family is the single most important institution in any society. Without it, our very existence would quickly become jeopardized. Yet there are some who are attempting to break down the family, and by doing so, their efforts are an attack on humanity. Here are three reasons why the family unit is fundamental to society. Reason number one, the family provides for children. Research conducted by health professionals provides ample evidence demonstrating that a married couple is statistically better equipped when compared to cohabiting couples or single parent families to provide a more favorable home for the development of children. For example, a medical paper by Wendy D. Manning titled Cohabitation and Child Wellbeing stated the following on health. At birth, children born into cohabiting parent families are more likely to have low birth weight than are their counterparts born to married parents, and more often experience asthma, obesity, and poor health than do children born to married parents. On finance, the median income of cohabiting parent households is about 50% lower than that of married parent households, and cohabiting mothers of young children have lower incomes than do married mothers. On behavior, children born to cohabiting parents have more problems with peers, more aggressive behaviors, more internalizing problems, and more negative teacher assessments than do children born to married parents. Instability then appears to harm psychosocial well-being. Reason number two, the family benefits a child's education. Professor of sociology at Princeton University, Sarah McClanahan, herself a single parent for 10 years, was part of the Fragile Families and Child Wellbeing Study, which examined the differences between 5,000 children who had grown up in either a single-parent or two-parent home. Dr. McClanahan revealed in a BBC article that children who were in what the researchers characterized as a fragile family, where parents were cohabiting or there was a lone parent, were twice as likely not to graduate from high school. The data showed that even a child in a stable single-parent household was likely to do worse on some measures than a child of a married couple. In an earlier paper found in volume 56 of the American Sociological Review, of which McClanahan was a co-author, the statistically unfavorable results in education for single-parent homes was highlighted as a considerable concern for the government, as education is a key factor in long-term economic success. Reason number three, the family provides for the local community and the nation. On both a national and a local community level, governments would do well to support and invest in the nuclear family as statistically it is the most successful institution in which future generations are developed. The beneficial results from well-behaved, well-educated and stable children is not confined within the walls of a home. Society as a whole benefits from children who grow up to be successful and have a greater sense of purpose than their own existence. Canadian author William D. Gairdner 
probably says it best when he wrote, in the pure financial sense, the family is the original and still unequaled charitable organization of the world. No state could possibly match its contribution to the education, health, or moral training of its members, nor could it supply the young of the world with the equivalent in financial assets transferred from generation to generation. Research confirms that no other institution will care for the well-being of children like a family unit. For some reason, the family is being attacked by key elements of society, and in doing so, our Western nations are unraveling. We need to carefully consider the benefits a family provides and choose based on scientific observation, statistical analysis, and biblical wisdom, the best way forward for humanity. Choose life that both you and your descendants may live. All right, <laughs> pretty interesting, huh? So, has God said that the traditional family structure is best for society? Well, that statement isn't explicitly stated to my knowledge. Maybe it is to my knowledge. It isn't explicitly stated in the Bible. But I think it's obvious that it's implied throughout the Bible. Okay? Um, I've, <laughs> some, I feel like there's some questions that are being asked that people didn't even have the sense to ask before because they were so obvious. Okay, and this is one of those questions. Um, I'm going to read, a, uh, get into a few scriptures here, and uh, we're just going to talk about this. Uh, Psalms chapter 68, verses 5 through 6, it says this. God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. He sets the lonely in families. Okay. Why does God, it, you can find this throughout scripture, why does God give special attention to the fatherless, the widows, the orphans all throughout scripture. It's clearly irrefutable that all throughout, all throughout scripture, God has a heart for the fatherless, the widows, the orphans. Why? Why, would he, why? why have a heart for them at all? Because clearly they're at a disadvantage. Okay. And God is for the disadvantaged. Okay. Um, why set someone in a family in the first place? Because it's best. It's best for culture. It's best for society. It's the best way to care for people and to raise adults who become contributors in society. Okay, so um, we're going to read a few more scriptures here, but what does the family unit do? Okay, number one, it offers protection. Okay, the family unit offers protection for its members. Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, it says this, another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks on fa uh, with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why? It is because the Lord is witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him body and spirit. And what does uh, the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. Okay, you may have noticed that portion of scripture highlights the nuclear family. You got the wife of your youth, the partner, right, of, of your marriage covenant, and God is seeking godly offspring. That is the nuclear family structure, okay? He's speaking highly favorable about the nuclear family structure here, okay? Now watch this, verse 16. It says this, Malachi 2:16. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the, uh, says the Lord God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. It says you're doing violence to the one you, you should be protecting if you're just going to throw her away. 
Okay, men, you should protect your wife. How do you do that? How do you do that? You do that emotionally. You do that physically. You do that economically. You should be an economic, emotional, and a physical shield for your wife, okay, and your children. This is what the family unit offers. It offers protection on those levels, okay? I would say that today the inverse is true. I would say that of, of women, you're doing violence to the one you are in covenant with if you just simply want to do away with him, okay? You're doing violence to the one that you should protect, the, the one that you should be looking after, okay? God has a huge heart. Um, the Bible says that God hates divorce. Well, if he wasn't pro-marriage and pro-family, why would he hate divorce? He'd be like, oh, yeah, here, yeah, that's your thing now. Go ahead and do it. No, he hates when people break covenant. He hates when people get divorced. That's not a good thing, Okay. And that highlights the nuclear family structure. Okay, that's reason number one. Reason number two is that it's the best way to raise godly children. Look at this verse, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. It says this, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. I like verses like this, by the way. Verses that say, like, this is something mom does, and this is something dad does. Because, because so many things are questioned in culture, so many things are questioned in society, like, let's go to the Bible and find out if there are, like, roles that are supposed to be fulfilled, right? So, my son, listen to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Notice, both are needed here. Both are needed, okay? Now, on the surface, instruction and teaching might seem like kind of the same thing. Does that seem like the same thing to you? Do not forsake your father's instruction and your mother's teaching. They kind of seem like the same thing. But if you look at the Hebrew, it actually breaks it down, and you can see there are actually some stark differences here, which I love. Um, the word instruction has more to do with discipline and chastisement, right? And not necessarily always discipline in the negative sense. Like the person who gets up at 5 o'clock every morning and goes to the gym, that's a disciplined person, okay? So discipline isn't always this negative thing. So listen to your father's discipline. Listen to your father's instruction, the way he brought you up, okay? Um, this is one of the things I got from my dad. I got a work ethic from my dad. I learned how to work. My dad is blue collar to the max. And blue collar people value work like a lot, value labor a lot, okay? What about the, um, the word teaching? The word teaching, listen to your mother's teaching. The word teaching means Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. Listen to your mother's teaching, the Torah, or the law. This is where the law was given to Moses, okay? Um, I had a hunch from reading this that people get more of their moral compass from moms than they do dads. So I was, I was um, preparing this message about 10 o'clock on, you know, I'm you know, working on it 10 o'clock, 9, 10 o'clock on Friday, and I text Pastor Bill. He does counseling, and, and he knows a lot of this stuff, and I just, I just asked him a question. I said, random question, would you say that kids get more of a moral compass from mom or from dad? About a minute later, he texts back. He says, uh, moms, dad's ha dad has a role, but our deepest values are set by age five to seven. So he fired that back right away. So I love that the Bible says there are things you specifically need from a masculine influence, and there are things you need from a feminine influence. Now, can fathers be tender, and should they be tender? Absolutely. That's not saying the only thing you get from your father, and that's not the only thing you get from your mother. And certainly, your, your father can teach you morals, and certainly your mom can teach you discipline. But I love that it's saying 
there are two people. This nuclear family structure is the way that God originally designed it, okay? And it is the best way. Amen? Okay. So, um, God's design is for both parents to be involved. Let me give you probably the best illustration I can give that this is God's design for us. When Jesus was born into this world, Mary conceived through the Holy Spirit, right? In other words, Joseph didn't participate in that part, right? (laughs) By the way, if you're engaged to a girl and you find out she's pregnant, uh, you have some problems, right? Right? Joseph finds out, oh, this girl I'm married to is pregnant. Oh, it's a child of the Holy Spirit. Sure, you know. (laughs) You know what's the craziest thing about that story is that uh, the angel of God didn't bother to tell Joseph until after Mary was pre- found to be with child. Like, you know, you could have saved a lot of, like, crazy tension <laughs> if you just told, jo- hey, Joseph, here's what's going to happen, right? But he doesn't bother till like, he, Joseph's ready to put her away privately. He didn't want to. Actually, in that condition, her being pregnant, in that culture, she could have been stoned to death because she was found to be an adulterer, Right. And so Joseph, being a good man, wanted to put her away privately. And then the Holy Spirit, um, the angel of the Lord comes and says, hey, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. What's conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Amazing story. (sighs) Lots of tension there. But listen, God saw to it that Jesus was raised in a nuclear family structure. Okay. He said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. God saw to it that Jesus wasn't raised just as a, by a single mom because Mary probably would have gone back home to her parents, right? And Jesus would have been raised by a single mom. No, God saw to it that he placed Jesus into a nuclear family structure. Why? Because Jesus, obviously, that was the best way to raise children. Jesus obviously needed the masculine influence of a father, the feminine influence of a mom. God chose to take his very son, put him into this world, and place him into a family, okay? Now, Listen, if Jesus needed that, how much more society as a whole, you and I and society as a whole, how much more would we need that, okay? Is it any wonder why Satan has so strongly come against traditional, the traditional family structure? Let me ask you a question. What will the landscape of the family structure look like in the last days? What will it look like? Listen, the family is going to be, and in much cases is, in chaos. Mark chapter 13, verse 12, it says this, Brother will betray brother to death, and father his child, and children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Okay, that's a dysfunctional family, if you, didn't, if you haven't noticed. Okay, that's a dysfunctional family. Second uh, Timothy 4, 3 It indicates that in the last days, there will be certain societies that will forbid or maybe even outlaw marriage. Why would you do that? Well, I think because Satan hates the institution of marriage because it it brings stability to society. And Satan wants to destabilize culture and bring it in a totally different direction. Okay? There is, I believe, a war on marriage. And someone might say, well, Pastor Kurt, the divorce rate is so high, people are losing their faith in the institution, so why should I get married? Listen, that's what Satan wants. He wants you to not have faith in the institution of marriage, okay? How many here are institutionalized? Okay. I am also in the institution, it sounds like a prison sentence, the institution of marriage, but, uh, which maybe for some of you, I don't know, but... (laughs) 
That's what Satan wants. He wants us to lose our faith in the institution of marriage. But if we realize the importance of marriage and the importance of the nuclear family, we should be investing big time in families, in strong family structures. Now listen, I don't care if you're divorced. I don't care if you're widowed. We want as a culture and as a church to build strong families. Strong families build strong societies. Amen? Okay. Uh, I'm going to start wrapping up here. And I want to conclude... Um, I want to conclude by kind of circling back around to an issue I talked about a couple months ago. And that issue is this, the racial tensions in the United States. Aren't you glad you came to church? Amen. <laughs> um, I did a message a couple months ago on racial reconciliation. And if you missed it, um, you can go back to our website and look at that. But one thing I said is that I actually believe that God is highlighting this issue, but I also believe that Satan is doing a good job keeping the narrative extremely negative. Um, in fact, I would be praying because I feel like God wants to do something amazing in our nation. I feel like he wants to do something amazing um, in all of this. But Satan is doing a good job keep, keeping the, the narrative extremely negative. I believe Satan's goal is to literally rip this country apart. I mean, rip it in half, because I believe America has a prophetic destiny. Amen. America's prophetic destiny, I believe, Greg, you mentioned being a missionary. I believe that as part of America's prophetic destiny is to send missionaries to the world and to preach the gospel all around the world. Okay? One of the great things about America is that we believe in religious freedoms, and we, we, we push that on other countries. When other countries don't have religious freedom, like, hey, you're, you're oppressing people. People need to have religious freedoms. And who, you know, I, this is somewhat of a side note, but, you know, I don't think most Americans like the fact that America, in a lot of senses, has become the world's police. I don't think we like that. It costs a lot of money. It costs lives. But if you ask the question, what if we step back from that? Well, that vacuum would be filled immediately. I mean, China, Russia, Iran, like, would fill that vacuum immediately. That's really tricky. A lot of people are like, we shouldn't be in these involved. I agree. I don't think we should be involved all over the world. But what would happen if we actually, I mean, that's a huge question, right? That's a big question. I believe the prophetic destiny of America is to trumpet religious freedom all over the world so that the gospel can be preached all over the world. I believe Satan is trying to rip this country apart so that prophetic destiny can be crushed. And so I'll circle back around to that issue here in just a few minutes. But um, go ahead and put up that, that graph that I had. This is, um, this is an income graph um, of the United States and uh, how people fare on income by, by race, by ethnicity. Can you guys see that? It's hard to see. Okay, well, I'll just explain it. Um, at the top, the top earners in the United States um, for the last, since the 80s, have been uh, Asians. Uh, the next is white the one below that is um, Hispanic, and then the one below that is uh, African-American, black people, okay? So clearly there's an economic, like, disparity there, all right? And I don't know about you, I don't like that black people are at the bottom. In fact, even if you're purely selfish, even if you're a purely selfish person, you have an interest in seeing to it that there's upward trajectory for all people in society. Why? Because if you have a disgruntled, um, disenfranchised population, that will destabilize society. That will destabilize culture. So, uh, in fact, I think a lot of what we're seeing in, in the current 
situations we're seeing in the United States is actually, you know, the individual situations of police shootings and that different kind of stuff. I look at one, I'm like, yeah, they clearly messed up. I look at another one, I'm like, that guy was fighting with the cops, you know, <laughs> and he got shot, you know. Um, some of those are confusing. Some of those you're going back and forth, and some of those like, I think that was clearly justified, that one clearly wasn't. What I think it's actually a manifestation of is the frustration of what we see right here, that black people at the bottom are frustrated in general. We want them to have upward trajectory. If you're purely selfish, you want them to have upward trajectory. Here's the question. Why? Why, why is it like that? Why are black people at the bottom? Why are they the least earners in the United States? Okay. Some would say that the primary driver of the economic disparity is uh, systemic racism or institutional racism. Okay. Now, I'm going to take a drink and let you think about that for a second. <laughs> it's getting awkward in here. Here's the thing. Although in the past, I would say that was most definitely true. Sometime after slavery ended until probably the civil rights movement, I would say that was most definitely true. To some degree, to some degree, probably is still true. But I believe that is currently not the primary driver of economic disparity in black people, okay? And here's why. Here's why I don't believe that. Look at the top earners. The top earners are Asians. Okay, here's my question. If institutional racism, racism was the primary driver, how did Asians, a minority group, manage to punch through and make more than white people? How did they do that? If, if the system was completely racist, how did Asians get to the top? Okay. <laughs> we talk about, you know, terms like um, white privilege from time to time, but maybe the question we should be asking is, what about Asian privilege? Right? And I don't mean that in a negative sense. Maybe we should be looking at it instead of the negative way, the positive way, saying, what are Asians doing good? What are they, what's working for them? What is working for Asians to make them the, by far the highest earners? Look at they're kicking butt, man. What's making them work so well? And we can all look at that, and we could all do better if we look at what Asians are actually doing really well. I think there's three things that Asians are doing very well. Go ahead and put up that slide. Boom. Number one, what are Asians doing right? Number one, they're extremely hardworking. Like, extremely hardworking. Number two, they have an extremely high value for education. Okay. Um, number three, they have an extremely strong family structure, including respect and honor in the home. And that respect and honor um, tends to go out everywhere in their life. It tends to be everywhere in their life. Okay. I believe the strong family structure undergirds these other two. And that's why they ha have such a hard work ethic, because they're learning that from home. That's why they have such a high uh, value for education, because they're learning that value for education at home. Many people have identified that the biggest problem, not the only one, certainly, not by far, the biggest problem in the black community is more likely the lack of a two-parent family primarily manifesting in fatherless than it is anything else. In fact, I, I've talked to a lot of people, even black people, who totally agree with that statement, that it is the number one thing that they're facing that's causing economic disparity. Uh, go ahead and put up that, that second graph. This is another graph going back to the 1940s, and it's um, the rate of single-parent homes. So 
percentage of births to unwed mothers, okay? If you go back to 19, um, let's see, 1940, African-American um, uh, single-parent family was actually what it is, was lower or at the same as what it is for Asian-Americans today, okay? You may have noticed this graph is the exact opposite of the one I just showed you. It's exactly flipped upside down. You understand that? And so... <clears throat> Something happened around 1960 that really, like across the board, all these, all these different groups started going up in single-parent single families, but something happened there that was really starting to wreck things for us, okay? Um, the out-of-birth wedlocks have soared in all categories, but especially in the black community, okay? This drives home the point I'm trying to make today, that family is the most important institution in society. And when you lose the family, you're going to lose culture, okay? This is a huge opportunity, a huge thing that you and I maybe could help do by having strong families here, by promoting strong families with our friends, okay? It's, it's massive. It's a, it's a, I would call it an epidemic. There's an epidemic of fatherlessness in the black community. It's driving economic disparity. I would say that's the number one thing. There are other things, other factors, sure, of course there are, but I would say that's the number one. Now, um, <clears throat> Since it's awkward, I'll just make it more awkward. <laughs> Is anyone getting anything out of this? Yeah. My main point here. My main point here is this. Family is important. This is a case for why family, okay? <clears throat> Since it's already awkward, I feel like as a spiritual leader, I feel like it has reached a point where I do need to issue a word of caution um, when it comes to the Black Lives Matter movement. I believe it's important to issue a word of caution. Now, my prayer and my hope is that a righteous person can rise up and redeem the movement who will divorce itself from the organization. Okay, the organization, Black Lives, I'm just telling you, it's not a righteous organization. The movement, I believe, has its merits and has, has uh, important things in it. I believe j God believes in justice movements, okay? Those are good things. I just showed you a graph that we should all care about. We should care about upward trajectory for everyone. The organization, again, I think God highlights this issue, but Satan has come, and this organization, there's a BLM organization that I believe is keeping um, the movement itself from being effective, okay? And causing a lot of division. So I'm going to read just a couple statements um, from the BLM website, and I just want to highlight the BLM uh, organization has some, some serious problems, okay? And again, my goal is not to say don't believe in justice movements. Justice movements are really important. In fact, um, I'm kind of putting this one down, but I think this issue is super important, okay? In fact, after the service, uh, I mentioned the harmony. I was going to do this. If you... Um, have a heart for justice movement, especially um, in the African-American community. Talk to Harmony about some organizations that are doing some good things. Okay, so I don't want to just say this one's bad and I'll go home. No, I want to say, let's find some organizations that are good, that we can partner with, that are truly are making a difference. And so let me read um, a few statements from, from their website. It says, so uh, some of these statements are, they're anti Bible, they're anti-Christian, okay? So it says this, number one, we make space for transgender brothers and sisters to lead, to participate and lead. Okay. Uh, we are reflexive and do the work required to dismantle side gender privilege and uplift 
uh, uplift black trans folk, especially black trans women, who continue to be disproportionately impacted by trans ag uh, antagonistic violence. We foster a queer-affirming network. We gather to, uh, we gather, uh, when we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking, or rather the belief that all in the world are heterosexual, unless he or she discloses otherwise. Okay, there's a lot there. That has nothing really to do with black lives. Okay? And when you're starting a church, one thing they train you is like, you have a vision. And you don't want your vision to be too broad. You have to keep your vision focused. Listen, the statement, Black Lives Matter, we should all be like, yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. But when you start throwing all of this, you're going to lose a lot of people. They're like, wait a minute, what am I signing up for here? Okay, you want to keep vision tight. You want to keep vision pinpointed. Okay, so many of their goals don't line up with traditional biblical values. But here's the one. I, I've said all this to say this. This is the one that disturbs me the most. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. Now, I don't have a problem with the second half of that statement, people caring for each other. That's not a big deal. What I have a problem with, a huge problem with, and based upon what I just showed you with those graphs, is we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. Let me say something about that. That statement isn't just anti-Bible. I would go as far as to say that statement is anti-black. That statement is anti-black because that is the very epidemic that is hurting that culture and that society. They need, guys, they need fathers. They need fathers. That is such a destructive statement. To disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family, that's what's crushing. They need fathers, you guys. That will perpetuate and exacerbate the problem more. Okay? Again, if the movement itself can be saved, I hope it can. It needs to divorce itself from that organization. And there are people out there doing good work. And there are people, the black community knows this. I'm not saying anything they don't know. They know that families are hurting. They know they need fathers in the home. I'm not, I'm not saying anything they don't know. I'm just saying to you guys, this is something we need to support. This is something we need to stand on for this community, okay? I need to offer some hope in this sermon. Okay, we painted a pretty big, bad picture here. <clears throat> Again, if you're interested in social justice issues, um, talk to Harmony after, ser after service. She does lots for social justice, women around the world who are, who are marginalized and that stuff like that. But she can point you to some actual good organizations that are doing good work. But the second thing I want to say is that God does have a remedy for broken family structures. God has a remedy for it. I believe that there will be an end times movement and family reconciliation will be a big part of that. Okay, why do I believe that? Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 through 6, it says this. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse or destruction, other translations say. Listen. The land is cursed with destruction if fathers are not reconciled to their children. When you have an epidemic of fatherlessness, and it's not just the black community, it's going up across the board, the land will be cursed and there will be destruction. <clears throat> Back when Moses was coming on the scene, I think in the air, 
Satan knew that there was a deliverer that was going to be born, right? And so what did Pharaoh do at the time? They said, you know what? These boys are getting, these Hebrews are getting too numerous. Let's kill all the baby boys. Let's cut down their population. I believe Satan knew that in the air there was a deliverer on the horizon, okay? And that's why that happened. When Jesus was born, King Herod killed all the baby boys because there was, there was a deliverer, right? They said, oh, there's one who's born a Messiah. He's a king. Oh, I don't want a king to replace me, King Herod thought. I'm going to kill all the baby boys. Listen, Satan knows this verse, Malachi, that there is coming a time where the hearts of the fathers are going to be churned to the children and the children to the fathers, and that will accompany a move of God, will accompany what I believe is an end times revival. And I believe that's one of the reasons why he's going so hard after destroying the family structure. I believe it's actually an attack on what God wants to do. But when God breaks through, and there's a supernatural, when God breaks in supernaturally, and hearts are churned back to their, to their children, children of the fathers, and mothers, of course, we're speaking of as well. Uh, that's revival. Change your definition of revival. Maybe it's family reconciliation. Maybe that's our definition of revival, or one of the things. Okay. When you do away with your wife, just throw away, or you throw away your husband, or you throw away your kids, or you get girls pregnant and don't take care of them, you're doing violence. You're doing violence to the one you should protect. Okay, this is violence against our culture, violence against our society. Okay, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 through 6, part, part of that was fulfilled with John the Baptist coming on the scene. It says of John the Baptist, he came in the power and the spirit of Elijah. But when asked about this, coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, the disciples asked Jesus, they said, um, he's, uh, his disciples, this is Matthew 17, 10 through 12, and his disciples asked him, saying, why then do scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered them and said to, the, said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you, Elijah has come already. And they did not know him, but they did whatever they wished. Okay, verse 11 says Elijah is coming. Verse 12 says Elijah has come. Which one is it? It's both. It's both. Elijah did, John the Baptist did come in the power and the spirit of Elijah uh, preparing the way for Jesus to come on the scene. But there is coming another wave, another revival. I don't, it might not be an individual person. It might, be, it might be a group of people participating with the Holy Spirit that is going to come and turn the hearts of fathers to the children and children to the fathers. I believe part of the billion soul harvest that has been prophesied so much that family restoration is going to be at the heart of, heart of it. Again, what do we do in the meantime? What do we do in the meantime? We need mentors. We need people who know how to do this. There's people, we're going to have people coming to church. They don't know how to do this. They don't know how to be married. They don't know how to have a family. They don't know how to be father. Like, guys, we've got to train them how to be fathers. We've got to train them how to be mothers, right? We've got to train them how to raise kids. We need uh, to pray for families. We need to support families. We need to care for the widows and the orphans. This is why we've been talking about adoption lately. This is actually the reason why we want to have adoption, and we'd start an adoption fund as a church. By the way, you can keep giving into that fund if you want to, because we're going to start partnering with families to adopt. This is the reason why. We want to care for widows. We want to mentor young people. Listen, if you're a divorced person, be as much part of your children's lives as possible. That's important. If you have kids without a dad, find masculine role models. Maybe it's a grandpa. 
Maybe it's other men in the church. If, you ha- if you're a single mom, find masculine role models. If you're, if, you're, um, if you're a dad without a mom in the picture, find feminine role models. Maybe it's a grandma. Maybe it's women within the church. Kids need both. They need masculine and feminine influences. If you're in relationship with someone who lacks these things, offer yourself because we need this. This is the, the two-parent family system is the way God designed it and set it up. Thanks again for tuning into the City Lights podcast. We appreciate your support and we'd love to fellowship with you. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. Be sure to check out our website at citylights.church where you can submit prayer requests, receive info on special events, and find our social media links. We're glad you could join us and we hope you have a blessed week.